I'm Jane Dutton. I'm in for Rele Bochile. Very good to have you with us this afternoon. We are going to be speaking to a politician, Dr. Mpo Palatze. Well, she's a politician. She's a doctor. She's a woman of, of many things. And you just hear the story about Peter de Villiers from the Good Party. And he's been suspended because of sexual misconduct. Nothing's been proved yet. But you think, gosh, our politicians should really lead the way, shouldn't they? They should be the, the beacon, the shining lights who guide our country onto a better world, into a better place, uh, hold the, the moral high ground. And sadly, that doesn't seem to be the case in this country. I think in Paul Palazzo, I mean, we haven't heard any... Um, anything too dodgy about her and I'm certainly not going to get into that on this show but I, I just want to find out from her about her failures, the sort of failures that have pushed her to the successes that we've seen. Do you remember she used to be the mayor of Johannesburg and then she was pulled off and then she got back on it again and then uh, she uh, left the DA and uh, and then she was ousted in, from her position and how does all of that make you feel? I mean she, she started su studying one thing and then she went off to study something else and then she ended up in politics so where is she today what is it that she wants to tell us about her life that will help us with ours i mean it's always good to hear somebody else's story because then you you learn from that don't you and it's so important to fail i know that sounds counterintuitive but it's absolutely true so we're going to be finding out from her what some of her failures are and she's she's got a few and uh, we're going to learn from her and we're also going to find out what sort of songs, what sort of music she likes to listen to in the day and why. And I want to hear from you what your thoughts are about Mpo Palazze, about her time as a mayor, about her time as a politician. We so often saw her glamorous face on our TVs. Is that a sexist thing to say, glamorous face on TVs? Anyway, I said it. Uh, strike me down if you have to. Anyway, we saw her a lot on TV. What would you like to say to her? Give us a call. The number is 011-883-0702. You can WhatsApp me as well on 072-702-1702. And let's listen to one of her chosen songs. It's Tasha Cobbs Leonard. I'm getting ready. 702. The upside of failure. Proof that a setback can lead to a step forward. Eyes haven't seen. That ushered in Dr. Paul Palazzi into our studio who asked me if I was the technical assistant. So I'm glad after my 25,000 million years as a journalist, I've really made an impression on you. <laughs> Hilarious. Nobody <laughs> warned me. Nobody warned you. I came as a surprise, and clearly a big surprise. Well, it's very good to have you with us. I'm glad. I believe I'm... you were battling traffic outside. Is it? Is it just horrendous out there? Yeah, no, it's quite busy. Busy Friday afternoon. Okay, and what, what are you busy with? What What have you been up to? It's gotten quite crazy, actually. So I'm back in medical practice. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm a general practitioner in private practice, currently in Rustenburg, about to start in Boxburg as well on Fridays. I'm part of a surgical team, a vibrant team of young professionals. We do neurosurgery um, procedures, so mainly spine procedures, some um, brain procedures as well. Very exciting work. I will be starting with a vascular surgeon in, in Boxburg. Quite excited to learn new things. Okay, so I was going to say, if if somebody doesn't know who you are, I'm just going to just uh, um, highlight a bit of your pedigree before you continue with the conversation. Uh, you were born 
7th of November 1977, a South African medical doctor, politician, new executive mayor of the city of Johannesburg, metropolitan municipality, a member of the DA, served in the position from November 2021 until your ousting in a motion of no confidence in 2023. You're the first woman to serve as mayor of the Metropolitan Municipality, which was established in 2000, the first black woman to serve as mayor of the city of Johannesburg, and only the second female mayor of the city after Jesse McPherson. That's quite uh, that's uh, quite an impressive CV that you've got there. I mean, when you look at that, when you look back at just that part of your life, what do you think? I think what a shame that we could not sustain such a beautiful legacy. Mm. I think what a shame that we could not sustain the hope and the faith that a lot of women in the city and in the country had that a woman can be trusted with such a difficult task as the task that I had on my hands of turning a city like Johannesburg around in its broken state. Do you think it's a woman thing? Was that one of the biggest obstacles? I absolutely do not think it's a woman thing. Um, I do recognize the hope that a lot of women had. I'm, I'm not the, saying that uh, casting aspersions of women having a capability, but do you think that that went, went against you in any way? Absolutely not. not. Absolutely not. Uh, politics is politics. Mm. Even if I was a man, it would have played out exactly the ready. same way. Yeah, definitely. It was mm. all about positions. You know, um, my, my being male was never going to change people's ambitions for, for more power. Mm. So I don't think it's because I was a woman, not at all. And I, I don't know if you heard about Peter de Villiers, apparently being a, a relatively naughty boy, the uh, allegations of sexual misconduct. I mean, it, it seems when you, when you talk about South Africa's politicians, I mean, there are very few that are, are not tainted with some kind of dodgy dealings or behavior. I mean, what is it? Is it, is it a, a, anathema to other parts of the world? I mean, we know it happens everywhere, but I mean, is it particularly bad here? Well, firstly, I don't want to comment on the... the no, understandable. Yeah, I'm, I'm a sexual assault care practitioner and an expert witness for the state, and I understand the, the legal process that goes into determining whether or not a person is guilty, so I'd prefer not to comment at this stage. But I do agree with you that we could do better in terms of the caliber of politician. Um, the fact that I had to go back to medical practice saddens me on many levels. Uh, one, the fact that there are so many good potential civil servants out there who are staying in business, in corporate, because A, um, they don't want to lose um, their comfort, their income. Um, the reality is it is a massive sacrifice to leave a business, to leave um, a well-paying job, to serve in a position such as the positions I've served in in the seven years that I was a politician. You literally give to the residents you serve every single month um, in the opportunity cost of not doing what you could be doing that could be earning you better um, and, and a better lifestyle for your family, for your children. I know that with the many technocrats that I talk to, that is the biggest concern. Mm. Um, but here we're talking moral fiber as well. And, and that is an indictment, I believe, on, on political parties. We choose who we put forward as candidates mm. for various positions. And we need to ensure that our processes are just that rigorous, that we're able to sift through, um, you know, all of that stuff that you're talking about and, and come out with people of, of good standing, people who can be trusted with such a position. Um, I do think that we need to tighten up our internal processes as political parties. I mean, interesting you say that because for many politicians, and you certainly get this impression when you look at some of our politicians out there who've got about 13 
Land Rovers, the most expensive watches, that, that you go into politics for the rewards that you get, the sort of tenders that you can get involved in, the favours that you can get. All of that kind of stuff makes politics, politics in South Africa, particularly attractive. And therein lies one of our biggest problems. I'd, unfortunately, it's not supposed to be that way. No. And I'm one of the few people with the opposite, you know, of, of that happening to me currently. Part of the reason why I went back to medical practice is because the sacrifice became too much for my family. The seven years that I didn't earn what I could have earned. Um, I have children, you know, who were in schools, as an example, before I decided to become a politician. They've been gravely affected by the decision because I never took a cent in the seven years. I've never colluded with business people. I always turned down requests for meetings with service providers because I always knew where it was going to lead. And that's the type of person we should be looking to put in positions of authority and trust with the billions of rands that, that, that we're trusted with in those positions. Unfortunately, yes, many South Africans do see it as a gravy train. They see it as an opportunity to, to, to get proximity to those tenders. It's mm. not supposed to be that way. No. One of your biggest failures, and you talk about your relationship with your mum. Tell us about that. Well, I, I wouldn't say it was a failure on my part, but I do think that it led to some failures in, in the earlier years of my life. Uh, my mother was very strict. Um, she was extremely strict to a point where um, at times I would wonder, is she really my mother? You know, she, she was very harsh. Um, she loved me, and I don't doubt that, but I just think that she had a funny way of showing it. Um, Why do you think she was so strict? What, what was she, behind that? Firstly, I was an only child, mm. and for her, it was she better succeed or I have failed. Mm. And there was this immense pressure on me to become what she dreamt I would become. Mm. And with that, her implementation of her strategy um, caused me a lot of pain as a child. I don't think she meant to inflict pain. I think she thought she was helping me. Mm. But um, yeah, she was, my mom was very, very strict, very, very harsh. And and I, I, I believe when I got my, to my teenage years, I did start to rebel. And I believe that with that, um, I lost a bit of myself. Mm. Um, when I look at my metric with a, results. With a rebellion. Yeah, as an example, I, I don't believe that my, my metric results are a true reflection of my capability, but rather a reflection of the rebellion phase that I was in, where I felt like, well, I've had so many hidings. You know, what else can happen? What could be worse than what I've already experienced? And, and I think I just started rebelling against this idea. Mm -hmm. You know, um, my mom used to wake me up every morning, my matric year, at 4 a.m., to study before I get ready for Gosh. school. And yeah, and, and she'd go back to sleep. And if she came back and found me sleeping, I could literally have a shoe on my, on any part of my body, or she could slap me anywhere. Or, you know, it was, it was really tough. Mm. But like I said, she loved me. So I don't think she did it out of spite. It was really her was way right of trying to push me to be the best. And my reaction to that, particularly in my teenage years, where I became very naughty, you know, almost a teenage delinquent in high school. Um, How naughty did you get? Well, everything that a teenager would do back then. This is in the 90s. So luckily I didn't go into drugs. Cigarette. Not cigarettes, yeah. alcohol, boys, you name it. Um, 
I mean, I would, yeah, I would, I'd, I'd, I'd jump over the fence to go clubbing on the night before an exam, for I instance. I can't see you doing that. You know, and, and when I look back and I think, what was wrong what with was you? What had gotten into you? I can only think that really, honestly, I was rebelling because it was, it was tough. It was, mm. it was really hard. But I know she meant well. Uh, my mom is an overachiever. She's a workaholic. And yeah, she wanted to reproduce herself in me. And mm. the pressure was just so hard that it almost pushed me over the edge at some point. Luckily, she was um, wise enough to reach out for help at the right mm. time. And she went to church for that help and and I, and I owe my faith today to that move that she made um, in her moment of desperation to bring me back in line. But isn't that powerful that she realized something was happening and she thought, you know, this is this is what I must do. Absolutely. So, so what's your message there? I mean, my mom uh, is the, the complete opposite. I, uh, I used to play a lot of squash and I was playing and I was winning a lot and uh, we had to go somewhere and she, she leant over and she said, please, can you lose? We have to go home. <laughs> so, so I had the complete opposite. But you and I, we've done okay. So what, what did you learn from that when it, when, when it comes to your children and about how you should deal with, with these little things and, and how you put yourself into, into their hearts and minds? I think I have a problem. I think I'm overcompensating. My eldest will be 21 in July, and he often says to me, you're more like a friend to us than a mother. And I think it was that thing that I don't want to be as harsh as my mother mm. towards my children, but often I wonder if that's good for them. Mm. And so it's about striking the right balance between the friend and the, the authoritarian, the disciplinarian, and I'm still navigating that space. Oh, okay. But, uh, but also parenting has changed so much, hasn't it? I mean, we are a lot more hands-on. I mean, we might not be as strict, but I think we're a lot more hands-on than maybe our parents were. I don't know, I'm, you know maybe not your mum. But we certainly get more involved in stuff that they're doing. Oh, no, my mom was very involved. Mm. And my mom was an educator. She was a specialist in geography. My mom did everything with me. Whatever she could do with me, she did with me. I mean, I was often on her school excursions. A lot of the experiences I had as a child of key um, sites in South Africa were with her. Um, she did research up to PhD level. I would go with her to collect data, you know, and so she, I, she was a very involved parent. Um, I remember as a child at the age of three, four, when I was starting school, everything in my room was labeled. The wall was labeled wall. The door was labeled oh, really? door. I was really a project. And, you know, she was very good at managing this project. Mm. Um, I do think, though, that, yes, um, there has been, you know, a change in how we parent um, these days. Mm. I think a lot of us are still trying to find ourselves. Often I have conversations with people I went to high school with, mm. and we compare a lot. You know, we compare yes. ourselves to where our parents were at the time. And in many ways, we feel our parents were better in some respects. Um, we feel that life has evolved so much. It has changed us that we've got less stability than what our parents had. My parents are still married to each other. Many of us are in our second, third marriages. You know, so it's, a lot has changed and it's affected the stability of the home. And I think many of us are really trying to navigate complex second and third marriages because it does get complicated each time you try again with blending families and all of that. So we, a lot of us are not having a similar experience than mm. what our parents had when do we you, were young. I mean, do you think other than that, that you might become like a doppelganger of each other, a, a blueprint of your mum? I mean, do you see a lot of yourself now in your mum and clearly her, I mean, your studiousness must have 
hers must have also rubbed off on you. My dad often says to me that the reason my mom and I fight so much is because we're so alike. Mm. So the more I try not to be like her, the more I become like her, except, of course, with my children. There's certainly things that I see in myself that remind me of her. My mom is a workaholic, and a lot of times my office has to slow me down and say, you know, you, you're going too far. Slow down, have time for the kids and that sort of thing. And so, yes, in a lot of respects, as a primary role model, as the same-sex parent, she did influence certain aspects of who I am. Um, in terms of housekeeping, as an example, my mom was always behind a computer. She was always working or away for work and so on. I didn't see much of her cleaning the house, doing the laundry, that sort of thing. And as a result, I'm not big on those things. If I don't have a helper, I'm a mess, you know. And so, <laughs> so, so in a lot of ways, I've become a lot like my mother. And as you walked in, we were playing one of your favorite songs, I'm Getting Ready. Tell us a little bit about that song. Why would you have chosen that? That's a song by Tasha Cobbs Leonard. Uh, it's a song that I played as an affirmation on two occasions. One, as I was driving to my interview uh, for mayoral candidacy in the Democratic Alliance, that's before I was announced as the mayoral candidate, um, we, we had to go through an interview process and on that drive to Bruma to Nkululeko House, which is our head office, that's the song I was singing um, on my way, A, to calm myself down, but also just to remain positive and to, to speak life, you know, because I was trusting for this position and I was saying, I'm getting ready to see something I've never seen. The second time I played it that was quite pivotal was on the day of elections, the 1st of November, 2021, as I was driving around in that H1 combi from voting station to voting station. That's the song I was playing. Again, reminding myself that I've really taken a leap of faith here and I, I, I wanted to, to stay in faith and stay hopeful that it will happen. Mm. Alright, we, we've got uh, the news headlines coming up, but after that I do want to speak to you about more of your failures that have turned into successes and, and what you've learned. In the studio with me is Dr. Paul Palazzi and, and give us a call. I mean, is is there anything that you want to find out about her? We saw a lot of her and then suddenly she disappeared. We've been hearing a little bit about uh, she's gone back to medicine and uh, we need to find out how much she's enjoying it. We're also going to be finding out more about the songs that she's chosen in her life and why. And uh, I, I want to ask you so many things about these the, the buildings, the hijacked buildings we're seeing at the moment and, and the executive who are now under security and you know how dangerous it is there. But... Uh, so you listeners do stay with us and uh, give us a call. Our lines are open 011-8830702. You can also WhatsApp us on 0727021702. 702. The upside of failure. Proof that a setback can lead to a step forward. And the lady to talk us through that, Dr. Mpopalatze, is still with me in the studio. And if you'd like to ask her any questions, get on the line, 11 You can also WhatsApp us on 072702. One of your big failures that you've put down, or however you would like to uh, spin it, was making the wrong career choice and the subsequent subsequent. <laughs> you can tell I'm a presenter, innit? <laughs> right, anyway, changing from engineering to medicine and, and the loss of time then.
talk us through that. Yeah, I lost two years trying to be an engineer for all the wrong reasons. It's a lesson I always share with young people. Often when we choose careers, we look outwardly before we look internally to see who am I, um, what are my strengths, what are my passions, my talents. And I did the same thing. I spoke to my career guidance teacher at the time in high school whose husband was a chemical engineer and I asked what her husband was doing for a living because I could see there was good money. Um, you know, she was a teacher part time and she lived a very good life, lavish lifestyle. And I mm. wanted that as a little girl. And Fair enough. Yeah, and and she said to me, my husband's a chemical engineer, Um, he owns his own company, and I said, well, that's the one I want, and she started helping me to become like her husband, Mm. and after two years of trying, I was miserable, I hated it, Um, I realized this was not me at all, and it was only after seeing an educational psychologist going through a battery of tests and and having the right conversations that I realized that my approach was all wrong. Mm. Um, I love to share the story because we all want a lavish lifestyle. We all want the good life, you know, and often we look at what pays the most and we want to squeeze ourselves into that mold, but it's not necessarily what we best at. And what mm. I find is that when you find what you best at, what you were born to do, you excel naturally without much effort. And it is my desire to see many people discover who they were born to be. Okay, so let's bring in Dr. Tabo Nisi, uh, who apparently knows you well and would like to ask you something about your career path. Go ahead, doctor. Hello? Hello, we've got you online. What, what's your question? Oh, yeah, I just thank you very much. Good afternoon. Afternoon, um, Tabo. Yes, thank you very much. Yeah, I just wanted to to ask. Uh, Mpo is uh, very good with uh, people's skills and so on, and I think uh, where she has worked as patient as a doctor, patients tend to love it too much. Now, my question is: uh, Would she like to go back to medicine, or would like to do other thing? How how, how does she feel? What is uh, um, her intention going forward? Because patients are crying for her. <laughs> I have to give a bit of background. So Dr. Tabomnisi is currently head of um, family medicine at the One Military Hospital. And once upon a time, I partnered with him in private practice in Potchefstroom after his patients asked for a female doctor. Mm. And um, it was a, a, a trial. You know, um, having known Tabo from med school, that's where we met. Um, Tabo and I became like brother and sister. He's also an only child like me. So, you know, we often borrowed each other's parents and so on. And and um, after that short trial, I said to Tabo, Tabo, I don't think I can do this because I can't do it for money. I take too long with patients because I enjoy the patient interaction and I want to go as deep as I possibly can. And it's, it's, it's not practical, you know. And, and I think it's from that point of view that he's asking uh, you back there what happens now <laughs> i'm in a theater um setting i i don't do patient consultations so i work with a team a neurosurgeon and, and an orthopedic surgeon i'm about to start working with a vascular surgeon they would do the the outpatient visits they would do those consultations i only appear in theater mm. when we go in to do the procedure and of course i would interact with the patient as we're wheeling them into um the theater and and, and as we're wheeling them out etc but I do think that it's a better model for me. 
it's more practical um, It's to the point We go in, we do the procedure, we get out mm. So I think that's working for me In terms of my future plans um, And Tabo will know this very well That I'm, I'm a very spiritual being I'm always spirit-led in my decision-making And all indications suggest that I will go back to medicine um, sooner than I had thought. So I'm actually preparing, not necessarily to wind down, but for a better re-entry into politics. I believe that I was not prepared the last time, not in terms of my capabilities, but just Mm. in terms of ensuring that my family will be taken care of while I'm in politics. Okay, so and and where are you going to go? Which party would you... Join. Well, I'm still a member of the Democratic Alliance, so I've not resigned from right, the DA. Okay, so I was being a little bit presumptuous. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yes. Sneaky way of trying to find out from you. Are you going to be joining your husband? Okay, you're going to stay in the DA. But what, uh, you know, to what end? I mean, you wanted to lead. You uh, that that didn't work for you. So so where. Where do you land? I've not given up on that aspiration. Um, I do still believe that there is room for a leader such as myself in the Democratic Alliance, and I'll continue to pursue that. Mm. Um, I think it's important. I believe that the DA is the only party currently in South Africa that's ready to govern. Truly, Mm. truly so, and I'm not being biased. Mm. And unfortunately, politics is about governing. Mm. Um, And so I don't see alternatives, and that's why I'm still in the DA. But I do have a concern about our inability to connect with the majority of South Africans and to win over um, their hearts and, and, and to win their trust. And I believe that I can make that happen. Mm. I believe that I can be the bridge between the Democratic Alliance and the majority of South Africans. And I believe that we can have a a better run country after that. Uh, You got into some trouble in the past over comments you made about Israel. Uh, uh, The DA is getting lambasted from certain corners about their stance about Israel, painting over graffiti uh, in Cape Town, which was rather a strange move considering freedom of speech and how they positioned themselves in the past. Uh, Where do you stand on that position now? Well, the DA's position has always been my position. We believe in a two-state solution and peaceful coexistence between Israelis and Palestinians. And I believe that's still the position of the DA. And it was my position even back then. I think I did explain that my comments were misconstrued because, you know, I'm a mother. When I stand before Pengu, I say, Pengu, I love you. When I stand before Tapelo, I say, Tapelo, I love you. I don't say, Tapelo, I love you and I love your brother too. Or, you know, and, and, and that's really what happened. You know, I was addressing a particular audience about the city's disposition towards that particular constituency and I didn't talk about other constituencies but you can't win when it comes to the Middle East and that was the biggest lesson I learned out of that um, and so yeah that's it's still my position today we've got a call uh, from Monica it's just saying I want to congratulate her for her strength and uh, okay Monica go ahead oh good afternoon good afternoon Monica I- Go ahead. Uh, yeah, yes, Paul. How are you? And I just want to congratulate you for your strength. You pull it through. Yeah, unfortunately, it didn't happen. But I'm also, I just want to find out when you say it was not only because you are a woman, because there's been this thing in South Africa that if you are a woman, there is triple oppression women and being black. But maybe it was because of other people, there was power, misogyny, and that really uh, made you to get out of the air. 
Monica, firstly, thank you for your kind words. Secondly, I'm not out of the DA. I'm still a member of the DA. And like I've just said, I do plan on still pursuing the position of leadership of the party. I believe that there's room for that. And I believe that at the right time, it will happen. I don't believe that I was ousted because I'm a woman. There was a lot of power play. There were too many political parties involved in governing. At some point, we had 10 parties um, under my mayorship, which, as you can imagine, with few um, MMC positions and and um, with the Troika also being so limited, the mayor, the speaker and the chief whip, there were only so many positions going around and people always wanted more. They wanted better. And of course, the opposition used that to 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 sway some of our partners towards them. And that's what eventually happened when parties like the Patriotic Alliance got a better offer from the ANC. They left us and and that's how I got ousted. I believe that had I been male, the same narrative would have played out. I don't believe that it would, would have played out differently because of my gender. All right. Thank you very much, Isaac. We'll get to you in a minute or so, and we're going to be talking more to Dr. Mpopalatse after this. 702. The upside of failure. Proof that a setback can lead to a step forward. Let's talk about your term as mayor and how you see that as a, a setback and what you learned from that. Not necessarily my term, but how it ended. Mm. I would have loved to have a five-year term. Uh, We inherited a broken city, firstly, and we were not going to turn it around in 14 months. Uh, We definitely needed more time. I think we needed two terms, even. Um, And so, yeah, quite sad how things turned out. A failure not on my part, a failure of the system, um, a failure of even just our legal framework and its immaturity or, or, you know, lack of adequate development to protect our residents and and citizens from instability. And I say this because in countries such as Denmark, who've had coalitions for decades, you've got laws in place that prevent what happened to me from happening. You're not allowed in Denmark to unseat a sitting mayor. Once you sit in that position, you have to see it through. In fact, uh, one former mayor who addressed um, a a training of DA mayors that I attended said, you you can't even decide that you want to quit. You, You would have to be sick to be allowed to, to stop working as mayor. And, and, and no, sorry, real sort of quantifiable reason, right? I mean, you can't say, uh, like Peter, maybe, you know, you've been badly behaved or, or whatever it is. And I'm sure obviously people came up with, with, with much ammunition, but that must be hard to counter. You don't need any valid reason. Mm. In fact, the, the fewer reasons you put in your motion of no confidence, the, the more likely that it will succeed. Because the more you put reasons, then you get caught up in technicalities and, and your motion might not succeed. And that's the sad thing. I believe that we were a great administration. I believe that we were turning the city around. We could already sense the change in trajectory. Residents could sense it. They tell me every day I run into them. And so, no, it's not a motion of no confidence because we were incapable or we were not focused on doing the job we were actually doing great and I had a great team working with me okay you say you were doing great you say you had a great team it didn't work so what can work do we have to grow up I mean what sort of impact does this have on the elections just around the corner so firstly, it's the legal framework, and you'll be aware that the Democratic Alliance has tabled a few bills in Parliament to address that, um, dealing with the frequency of motions of no confidence, for example. I mean, I faced a few before I was ultimately ousted and so on. Um, so yes, definitely a look at 
what we can do to tighten our laws to protect our residents. But yes, we do need to grow up. Um, I will say that because I've been in meetings where a lot of politicians were petty. Um, a lot of politicians were self-serving and they forgot what we were about. Um, we now celebrating 30 years of democracy and I miss what we had in 1994. Um, our focus was on the right things. Our focus was on building a rainbow nation and driving redress and making sure that South Africans are united behind this vision. I'm not seeing us being united. We're more fragmented than ever because everyone wants to be president. Everyone wants to be leader of a new formation and we see new formations daily. With each new formation, I just see us become more and more fragmented as a people and I wonder how we hope to achieve what we hope to achieve. Isaac wants to ask you something. Isaac's on the line. Go ahead. Good afternoon to you, Mpo, and how are you? I'm very well. Thanks, Isaac. I'm fine. Yeah, you know, it's like we miss you so much here in the city of Joburg as security officers, you know. And you know, you are the only one mayor that do, who wants to engage with us and knows our, our, our grievances. And you are about to fix our problems. But now, unfortunately, you left the office. So my question to you, Mpo, is if ever you were still in the office, I mean, what would you have been done to the security because as we are still on the lower level and we are not being considered which and ever whatever the the, the position we are because you know we are suffering in all those sort of things oh. okay thank you for that Isaac, yes, you're right. We did meet um, together with the unions, the city manager, and we had put together a delegation to particularly focus on driving issues raised by security officers. There were many issues, um, you know, issues of PPE, um, tools of trade, and, and so many other things, and my office was driving that work. We would have continued. We would have made sure that you really experienced service with pride because you're being supported by an administration that understands your own requirements, but also your you need to feel safe. I think one of the biggest concerns raised was the lack of safety. There were lots of attacks by criminal syndicates. We saw a few security guards being killed um, and, and you a lot of you felt unsafe and, and, and we were working on all of that. We had engaged national government, we had engaged law enforcement across the different tiers of government and we were really um, addressing your issues and I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that we had to leave the way we left but I'm hopeful that you will once again have an administration that continues with those plans. Uh, tell, you, um, tell us about what you saw when it came to abandoned buildings. I mean it's a, it's a massive building, a, a massive problem not only in Johannesburg but in other parts of the country. We saw the Randwater chief who was killed. Now we've got executive under protection. I mean, is this something that was happening in your time? What does it suggest is going on? Well, there could be any number of reasons and I've been mulling over it. Mm -hmm. um, I don't have the facts. I can only speculate. You know, um, yes, as politicians, we were constantly under threat. Executives were constantly under threat. We've had to give some officials in the city a VIP protection at, at some point or another because their lives were threatened for some reason or other. So, yes, it has become that dangerous to work in that space. But there's also illicit economies. Um, sometimes officials and politicians involve themselves 
themselves in things they should not involve themselves in. Um, but sometimes it's because you're standing for what is right and people need to remove you because you're an obstacle. I mean, there could be so many reasons these kinds of things happen. As it pertains to abandoned buildings, yes, that remained um, a key program that we were driving um, following up on the 2016 administration's program where we were encouraging private developers to take over these buildings. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we continued with that program in my office. Um, I had regular engagements with the JPC, the, the uh, Development Planning Department to look at how we could fast track um, the handing over of these buildings to private developers. Uh, we were assisting them with approvals and so on. So we, we had really streamlined functions to make sure that we hand over as many as possible. One hurdle that we still had, which I was um, at the tail end of my mayorship working with the Minister of Home Affairs to address was the need for temporary um, emergency accommodation. So in order for us to take back these buildings, we need to provide temporary emergency accommodation. A lot of our buildings are hijacked and and the vast majority of the people in those buildings are undocumented migrants. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, immigration in Johannesburg did not have adequate capacity to to be with us on every single raid and to process every single undocumented migrant. And that was the conversation between myself and the minister. The minister was was quite willing. Um, he was agreeable. I really enjoyed and I was excited. I remember coming out of that meeting because I saw we could finally claim back more buildings because we then had realistic targets in terms of how much um, emergency accommodation we had to provide. And I should imagine listening to music and uh, take you away and take you um, into your your land of, I was going to say fantasy, but it could well be reality where we see you as a, a leader of the DA. So you sort of hinted at that. And Maria Makeba and Nina Simone is one of them. seconds and what final word of advice are you going to give all of us i'd love to sit here and say that opposition parties are united enough to ask the nc and give an alternative government to south africans i do not have that confidence having been in that mix and seeing the mudslinging and how everybody was trying to upstage everyone else instead of working together it's quite sad um so it does look to me like we will end up with the nc at the helm yet again in coalition with another party because definitely the nc will fall way below um what they got in the last election there's predictions they'll fall below 40 percent there's new developments daily so things keep changing with the new mk party formation for example with a lot of the offshoots from the nc itself with ace mahashula and so many others, um, you know, between now and elections, there could be a lot of various other changes. But I do believe that, unfortunately, uh, we're likely to end up with an ANC government in coalition with some other parties. Dr. Paul Malazzi, thank you so much for, for being with us. That was a, a wonderful conversation. And we wish, wish you, uh, Dr. Malazzi, the best of luck going forward and whatever.